You know, I appear calm. I'm not. I'm just trying to. I got enough pride. I'm trying to put this off as long as I can. <laughs> we were standing outside the, the other day when I got here. Brother Cornwell was here. Brother Cornwell and I, Brother Dylan, were standing together. Brother Cornwell, he was standing between the two of us. And he said, you know, if my wife was here, she, she would say this is the holy trinity of AADD. Adult Attention Deficit Disorder. And I looked at Brother Cornwell and I said, I can't tell you how privileged I am to be included in that group. And I was very sincere, and I still am. I, it was a high compliment to be paid me to be considered anywhere like the two of them. Praise God. And I think I'm about to prove that I am. Praise God. Well, I can't put it off any longer. So. I think I'll just do it. Uh, Proverbs 18 and 1. Says, through desire... A man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. The title of my message today is Something More Important Than Faith. Brother Shatwell, I do not believe that the saints that I have been around or the preachers I've been around in the apostolic movement specifically the UPCI, lack faith for God to do anything. I don't think it's faith we lack. Frankly, I don't think it's prayer we lack. Now, I, can all, I know I can pray more. I know I can. How much is enough prayer? I, I, don't, I don't know there's such a thing as enough prayer. How much is enough breath? If I can define how much is enough prayer, then I can define how much is enough breath or vice versa. I don't think we're lacking in talent and ability and resources. We never have had enough money in 35 years in our town. And I don't know if we'll ever have enough money. If you've got so small a vision you can have enough money, there's a problem. God have to empty his mountains to have me to have enough money for my vision. Yes, he would. He'd have to dig all that gold and silver up. I don't think we really lack vision. But there is something we are lacking. And this is, I'm ministering to you on the subject. There's something more important than faith. Hebrews, uh, Mark eleven twenty two says, and we'll, we'll read that together if you don't mind. Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. The next verse kind of fits very well with what Brother Shetwell just preached. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe 
that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Which is more important here, prayer or desire? Which is more important here? Jesus said to have faith in God. Which is more important, faith or desire? What do you call prayer that's prayed without desire? What is, what is prayer? What does God consider desireless prayer? Ritual, we call it devotion. I guess there is a degree of devotion to that. Fellowship, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's no desire in that. There's no passion in that. There's no zeal in that. There's no faith in that. Is it prayer? I guess it's prayer. Sounds like prayer. We call it prayer. But it is prayer without desire. Because it's prayer without faith. Because there really is no faith without desire. You see, the problem is, my brothers and sisters, now, I I love home missionaries because I am one. Some of y'all got better buildings than I got right now. My wife and I started our church 35 years ago next month. With just the two of us. Didn't know anybody in town. Had nobody. Took a long time to get anybody. Preached, preached to her and one other lady that was there because she was living with her kids. For a long time. Longer than I even want to remember. I am a home missionary. And the problem is, when you, when you feel like a nobody, because home missionaries feel that way, because you don't have any people to put on the Sunday school report, and you don't, you know, and there's no status, there's no, there's no, uh, feeling of respect or whatever, you know, it's, it's not a pleasant thing. The problem is you, you, you feel like a nobody and you feel like you don't have anything necessary to get the job done. There's never enough money. The facilities are never adequate enough. The music is rarely ever acceptable. You feel like the preaching isn't very acceptable most of the time. You, the job is bigger than you know where to even start. It's like trying to eat an elephant. Which part do you bite first? Do I take a bite out of a leg and then a bite out of the, the trunk and a bite out of the tail, and a bite out of the side, a bite out of the ear, and then just keep doing one bite at a time, rotate? Where do you start? What do you do next? Well, as simple as this is, hear me right now. If I had to boil everything down and you ask me, 
what is the most important thing the single most important thing that after 35 years with no building we had 810 Sunday from scratch zero what's the single most important thing desire desire because you express your desire by what you say. Desire is expressed by what you say. That's right. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. Desire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I know the reaction I'm getting right now because this, we're afraid of this. We're afraid that desire will separate us out. You know, we, we, we all want to be accepted and recognized, but we don't want to be different. You know, I, I've lost a little weight and I've been able to wear some clothes I haven't worn in a while. And, 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 and in the rejoicing over exchanging clothes in my closet, and I decide I'm giving all these old clothes away. I save these smaller ones, but I'm not saving the bigger ones. And I, and I saw this coat, and I'm kind of bleed blue and gold, and I won't go into all of that right now. And so I, I like that gold coat. I, I like a yellow, whatever you want to call that. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I packed it and I, I I looked in the closet this morning and I thought, I like that gold coat. I'm going to wear it. And I came in here and I looked around. Grays and blacks and blues and subtle browns and greens. And I was the only one with a loud coat on. I felt really different. And the Lord said, that's the point. You know, the disciples had the shock of their lives one day. This calm, sweet, kind Jesus that Peter said he went around doing good all the time. One day he lost it. He absolutely lost it. He braided some ropes into a whip and went berserk. He went berserk. He began to drive people. He turned over tables. He scattered money. He scattered animals. They, they went, they were beside themselves. He's lost it. We're following a maniac. What is his problem? What is the deal? What's going on with him? Put John 2.17 on the, on the screen, please. What They looked for an explanation. This was so out of character. This wasn't like him at all. What is it? What is the answer to this behavior? Then they remembered. John 2.17 They remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Oh, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I can't tell you that's true of me. And I can't tell you that's true of you.
Because it is not true of us. Because we're trying to fit in. And we want to be accepted by our communities. And we want to be accepted by our brethren. And we're too afraid of embarrassing ourselves and our families. We're too afraid of doing something that would be considered unusual and strange that people won't be able to understand or explain. Oh yes, we're too afraid of that. But he wasn't afraid of this because that's what dictated his life. There was a zeal, a fire, a passion inside that could not be assuaged, put out, diminished by his circumstances, by his lack, by his difficulties, by people's reaction. He would not be stopped. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I, I remember this reaction. I remember this reaction from years ago. Because I used to preach this stuff all the time. But I was considered just a young kid that would grow, grow up someday. Well, I'm 59. And I can prove biblically that I'm not old. Because the book was quoted last night that young men shall see visions and I'm still having visions and that makes me young. The book says it. And if the book says I'm young, then I'm young. Period. I don't care, I don't care what the calendar says. I got Bible to prove I'm young. I've had a few dreams, but I had dreams when I was a kid. I'm still having visions. That proves I'm young. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If it, we have mask, loss of passion, loss of zeal and desire by the word maturity. Well, I have matured. I can't imagine you ever slowing down, Jerry Wayne Dillon. I don't care how old you get. Forget this maturity stuff. If, if that means I'm supposed to get cold and lifeless and always play the safe bet and always take the safe course and never ever take a risk. Let me tell you something, friend. You're not going to build a church without taking risk. And if you don't have enough desire to activate your faith and prayer, you're never going to see God do what He wants to do. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 How many here have the Holy Ghost? I just set you up. I don't doubt you have the Holy Ghost, but I don't know that the Holy Ghost is enough to save us. Years ago, we had deeper life meetings, and this was the, this was the, the complaint of the dead. Well, that's a strong statement, wasn't it? So I'll say it again. This is what the dead said. Those that wanted to be left dead. There's nothing greater, deeper than the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, there is. He promised to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire. And if you've got the Holy Ghost and no fire, you're, I don't, I'm not sure you're saved. I don't know that talking in tongues alone is not enough. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical here or call anybody's name, 
But let me tell you what. I believe there are charismatics that talk in tongues. But they don't have the fire. They're trying to fit in with the world. They're fine trying to fit in the community. The assembly of God aren't Pentecostal anymore. Now they're charismatic. Because they don't want the fire. They don't want something that would cause somebody to act like Jerry Wayne did. Brother Dylan did last night. Or, or like, like Brother brother uh, Kenzie did like last night. Or, or, or some of these other folks. They don't want that stuff. They don't want the dancing and the jumping and the rolling. They don't want any of that stuff. They don't want anything that will set them apart or make or embarrass them in front of people. Oh, God. I wonder why it is that we have such a hard time praying. Is it that we don't desire anything? We've lost our desire. I wonder if the reason that we have a hard time getting our people to pray is because we've lost our desire. Because if I really believe that God is sovereign, sovereign, if I really believe God is faithful, if I really believe God is in control, and I really believe He'll listen to my words, if I have desire, it's impossible to not pray. I cannot restrain prayer. I will, I'll have to stop praying to go do other stuff because desire cannot be contained. No, 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 no. I, 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 I know what some of you have responded. I've, I've done the same thing. You, you, you're in the throes of it and, and, and the big preacher up there preaching and, and, and he's got a church and he's got money and you're sitting there and you, you don't even know how to pay this month's rent. And, and, and you don't know how you're going to make it. And, and you come to church and they preach all this stuff and, and uh, to a conference and it's, oh boy, it feels good. And, 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 you, and, and the first time you get all excited, you go home. It doesn't take long for that excitement to be squelched, squashed. And the next time you come, boy, it's good stuff. You get all up, you get all excited. You go home and didn't last again. It doesn't take but a few of those times. And you don't let yourself go someplace and get all worked up. The problem is we're getting worked up over the wrong thing. The stuff that you've heard already last night and today, this is, this is the fancy stuff. This is the basic stuff. This is the stuff that's true whether you're preaching to two or two thousand. It's true. It's right. It's real. And I'm telling you something. This is the difference. This is the difference. This is why I'm not pastoring 35 years and still pastoring 35 people. Not because of me. Not because of talent. Not because of ability. Not because I'm a blue blood. Not because I'm smooth or, or suave or whatever. Not because I'm intellectual. But because for, when nothing else kept me going, the desire was so great. It wasn't a question of quitting. It wasn't a question of giving up. It wasn't a question. When every obstacle said no, something inside me said yes. There is a way. God not would not have sent me here if there was not a way there is a way there is a way I'm going to seek him till I find it and when I find it I'm going to do it there is a way around this there is a way through this there is a way that's what kept me going and that's the key isn't it let me tell you something I'm not trying to divide the crowd here honestly I'm not but when you take a church it's possible 
to totally mask your lack of desire. You preach good messages, keep people happy, glad hand enough. Be sweet, be kind, never challenge them. You can keep that thing together and keep it going for the most part. Let me tell you something right now. You cannot build a church and you cannot have a revival without passion. You've got to have passion. Zeal. It's, they're all synonyms. Zeal. Zeal. Let's look at a verse that we've we, we've looked at the first part of the verse, uh, the first part of the sentence, and skip the rest of it. Isaiah nine and six: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We stop there, but that's not where the thought stops. That that was an introduction to the next statement. That was it of the increase. God, you cannot separate desire and increase. Desire will never be satisfied without increase. And because desire is desire, there is no way in this world there is ever enough increase. Because desire and increase are married. They will, there is, there will never be a divorce in God between desire and increase. Never. And of the increase, 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 of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon His kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and, and with justice from henceforth even forever. Well, look at that last verse. How? What is going to be the contributing factor? What is going to be the overriding principle? What is it that's going to cause this to come about? What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? The zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. No zeal, no increase. You know, it doesn't matter what the latest program is. You don't need the latest program. When we started, it was bus ministry. We went out and bought an old van. Started picking up kids. That's all, that was the thing. That was what we knew to do. After a while, we had a couple of vans. Then we started buying old buses. Talked to a preacher one time in Indiana. He said, I got some good buses for sale. I took two or three of my guys. We drove, we were like three years old at the time, four years old. Drove all the way out to Indiana, picked up these good buses. How'd you get those buses? That was my first experience. I won't tell you experience with what. But I looked at those buses and I thought, it's, it's 800 miles, huh? I honestly don't believe these buses are going to make it. But I needed buses. And I paid an exorbitant price to take this man's junk off his hands. Why? Why did I just get back in the vehicle and drive home? Because for better or for worse, they represented people. They represented souls. They represented opportunities for workers. That was the method then. We still run a couple of buses. Because the Bible says give a little to seven also to eight. You don't know which one of these is going to work. 
You do everything you have, you have the capability of doing because you don't know which one's going to produce. Whether it's cold door knocking, fine. What, what, whatever your method is, it's not the method. It's not the latest method. It's the guts behind the method. It's the desire behind it. It's the desire behind it. It's not the facility you're in. It's the atmosphere you create in that facility. It's not the preaching. It's the passion behind the preaching. Passion tells people, I believe what I'm saying. I was at a staff meeting the other day and, 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 and we were sitting around a table we were talking about some things and one of the guys looked at me and said kind of like he shook himself and said Brother Wright is everything always about the promise? I looked at him and I thought huh? He said everything you do everything you say Every decision, we, I've watched this. Every decision you make, it, the ultimate thing is the promise. I looked at him and said, well, of course. What else is there? What other motivation is there? I've got a promise. I've got a promise. What else is there? The, the, what, how else do you make it through tribulation trials? How else do you make it through the sorrows and the difficulties and the pain? What other means is there to keep going? There's no other way to keep going. I've got a promise. I want that promise. I was given an opportunity to speak it a while ago. I didn't say anything different than I normally say. But if the angel of the Lord was here listening, I'm down repeating it. Same stuff. You promised. You promised. You promised. I believe it. And I'm going to believe it. And I'm receiving it. Whatever you promised, I'm receiving. I want it. I want it. Name your price. Name what you want. What do you want out of me? What do you want me to do? You promised, I want it. I want it. I want it. My God. You want to increase? It doesn't start with methodology. It doesn't start with ability. It doesn't start with finances. It doesn't start with any of this stuff. It starts with the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Notice, please, not your zeal. You want to burn out? Work for God on your energy. You want to burn out? You want to burn out? Work for God with your energy. Work for God based on your desire. Your desire, your ambition. Work for God. Try to build a church on your ambition. You want to burn out? You'll, you, you, you go, you'll give up no time. It won't take much to discourage you if it's your ambition, if it's your desire. But if you sought God and you've let Him give you your desire, His desire, you've let Him put His zeal in you, it can't, it can't be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. What, what is our struggle with this? Why do we struggle with this? We struggle with it because nothing will change your life more than a fresh infusion of the zeal and fire of God. Nothing. Nothing. What, it was, what is it that would cause a man who has put his time in 21 years in Brazil? 
Spent seven years as a missionary in uh, Los Angeles, California. With church after church after church begging him to come be their pastor. Established churches. That he would be willing to go to Washington, D.C. Where a little old dinky two-bedroom apartment most places wouldn't, most people wouldn't live in is $2,500 a month. What would cause a man 50, 55, 58, right? That's right, you're only a year younger than me. 58 years old to start over and tackle that kind of thing. What? Who in their right mind would do something like that? Who would do that? What is it? I know people have, have questioned, what, what's wrong with Brother Howard? And why would Sister Howard even cooperate with that? What is their problem? Doesn't anybody want them? I know for a fact three churches that want them. Still want them. Still call them. You know how easy it would be to leave that challenge and go take a comfortable church at 58? You know how easy that would be? When there's barely enough money just to survive and there's not even enough money to even begin to rent a building and you don't know how this is going to happen, what keeps somebody there like that? What is it that? It's not like he's got no place else to go. One of the churches he pastored in California calls wants him back now, begging him to come back. Why? Why? What would keep him staying there? Desire. 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 The devil tells some of you, well, the reason you're starting a church is you're just not good enough or well-known enough to get one of these good churches that comes open. That's the greatest blessing you could ever experience. At least the problems I deal with are of my own making. It's not, it's not three pastors back and stuff he did. That's right. At least the problems I'm dealing with, I don't have anybody to blame but me. That's exactly right. I don't have any of that, that mess trying to deal with somebody else's decisions. Somebody else's reaction. Somebody else's doctrine. Somebody else's vision. Somebody else's faith. I don't have any of that to deal with. Because that takes a long time to change, friend. It ta- and I don't have enough life lived to bother with it. I realize, thank God, some men feel called to do that. I have great respect for them. It's a greater challenge, in my opinion, home missions any day. That's honestly the truth. I believe that with all my heart. I wouldn't trade places with any of them. I don't care where they are. I'm telling you, home missionaries, please believe me. If you don't have zeal, passion, desire, you need to stop the merry-go-round and get off and spend some days and nights in fasting and prayer begging God to baptize you with His zeal. And when you get out of that prayer meeting, you will never be the same again. Your ministry will never be the same again. Your your church will never be the you'll never see your city the same again. 
Only one time in 35 years I ever, ever considered leaving. It was the first time I ever went to the mission field. I went to, to Malawi, South Central Africa. The missionary was a friend of mine out of our district. He'd only been there about two and a half, three years. He had done a phenomenal job. But everybody was brand new and knew virtually nothing. And, and I'd never really done exact crusade type services before. So, but I went over there. We had six services. First of all, I was totally appalled at the, at, at the poverty. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. My dad was an enlisted man most of the time I was a kid in the Navy. And we, we, we didn't live great places, but, but it, I, never, I never thought of us as poor. But looking back on it now, I mean, we, we, we were far from rich. But this was beyond my imagination. And then the first two services, I tried to do the typical thing where you preached through an interpreter, never preached an interpreter before, and people came to the altar, and then we, I tried to get the altar workers to help. Well, it didn't take me but a few minutes to figure out the altar workers didn't really have a clue. We prayed through 14 people those first two services, and I prayed every one of them through. And Desire said, this ain't going to get it. Desire said, I didn't come all the way over here to experience this, to accept this. So for the next four services, the altar call was, anybody want the Holy Ghost line up down the middle? I did a like a healing line. I prayed those people through one at a time. They kept, I laid hands on their head. Some of them took a few seconds, some of them a couple of minutes. And in, in the total of six services, we prayed 100, 135 people through. And I went home absolutely beside myself. And I told God, I'm out of here. You're sending me to Africa. Because without increasing prayer and faith at all, I could see 10, 15, 20 to 1 what I'm seeing here in Annapolis. I'm not spending, if a soul is a soul is a soul to you, God, if you died for one soul just as good as another, you're sending me over there where I could spend my life doing better than this. And I was listening to a tape by Brother Barnes on the gift of faith. And I was coming out of the southbound end of the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel. And he talked about the responsibility of having faith, whatever. And the Lord spoke to me and said, You have prayed, you have pestered me for years and years and years to give you great faith. I don't need great faith in Africa. That's what he said. He said, I can do everything I want to do with normal faith in Africa. I'm just not disparaging anybody over there by that statement. I'm just telling what God said to me. He said, but if I'm going to reach the Northeast, it's going to take great faith. I put you where I want you. You're going to accept what I give you. First and only time I ever considered leaving. At some point I stood on the platform and I knew that I would give my life primarily for the salvation of the people of that city and that county. My entire life, God was taking my life and trading it for theirs. I, I realize we all came from different places. And I don't want you to misunderstand me here, okay, please. I'm just telling you the, the, the value that I put on this to me. Today, right now today, I could be retired in Florida making seven, $8,000 a month without doing a thing. 30 years in the Navy, retiring as an admiral. 
seven, eight grand a month. Don't even have to lift a finger. Could have retired after 30, 35 years. I'd been retired well before now. Live the rest of my life. Free medical care. Go to any base I wanted to. Shop anywhere I want to shop. Not have to lift my finger. I could, I could trade. I could have had that. I could have had that. That was the goal, you see. Born in a naval hospital. Raised in the Navy all my life. Graduated from the Naval Academy. It was all set up. It was set up perfectly. But I didn't understand. I didn't go to the Naval Academy to become a Naval officer. I went to the Naval, to the Naval Academy because it's in Annapolis, Maryland to get a burden. A burden I did not want. A burden I battled with God before I accepted. But when I finally said okay, the Lord made me promises. You know something? I'm holding His feet to the fire. I am not letting up. I willingly gave all this up because you had a call. Now you made me promises and you're not giving up on them. And you're not quitting them. You're going to do it. I don't care if you got to kill me to do it. You're going to do it, God. I believe you. Whatever you say, whatever you want, that's the way it's going to be. Whoever comes, whoever goes. I'm not patacaking with anybody. I'm not placating anybody. If they want to be a part of this, fine. If they don't, go someplace else. But we are going to see what God promised. Let me tell you, let me tell you what, what happens a lot of times for, for us as missionaries. We finally get our first or second breakthrough and we got a few people now. And, and it's so nice to finally have a few people. Of course, it doesn't take us long to realize with people come problems, the more people, the more problems. But when it, when it first happens, even with the problems, you're glad to have, take the problems to have more people, right? Woo! Something's happening. Yeah. But then, if you're not careful, you start getting cautious. You get, start getting careful about what you say and how you approach things. And you change. And momentum stops. And you don't know why. Because you're trying not to lose anybody. You're not trying to gain. You're trying not to lose. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if it's business, athletics, or spirituality. The moment you switch from trying, from, from trying to gain to trying not to lose, you just lost. You just lost. You just lost. Because let me tell you something. When you have to compromise who you are, your vision and your passion to hang on to a few people, especially somebody that's got a little money and they think they want to control you and they want a comfortable lifestyle and they don't want anybody, anybody, uh, 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 stirring up their little world. They want to be, feel like they're okay. And they don't want you disturbing their world. I give money, I help you out, that's enough. It's not enough. God curse your money. I am not a prostitute. I don't preach for money. My ministry, my messages are not for sale. You like them fine, you don't like them, that's okay too. But I will not prostitute my soul, my life, or my ministry for anybody's money. And I'm not selling my desire, my zeal, my passion, my vision, just so I, somebody is comfortable sitting on the seat where I pastor. Just because I may do or something, say something in my zeal that may embarrass somebody. 
Oh, Jesus. You want to be saved? If you don't have any fire burning inside today, you need to find some place to pray and beg God till He baptizes you afresh with the Holy Ghost and fire, fire. You know, problems are just... God allows Satan to bring problems along to see if you'll let the problems put your fire out. Let me tell you something. Fire in an old man is a miracle because we've been through enough that it's easy for flesh to come to the conclusion it's not worth it. But I don't like who I am without fire. I don't like the way I think without fire. I don't like my approach to things without fire. I feel like I'm betraying myself and God. I'm betraying the Word of God without that fire. I'm betraying everything I've ever sacrificed. That I've devalued everything I've ever suffered without that fire. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I know this is a play on words and I'm by far not the first one to use it, but Matthew 5 talks about the B attitudes. And uh, I was a pilot in the Navy and uh, one of the first things you learn about flying is this. They teach you this in ground school, not when you get behind the stick. Doesn't matter how fast the plane's going down the runway. The thing that causes a plane to fly once it's reached takeoff speed, it will not take off even once it's reached speed to do so until the cha- the pilot changes the attitude of the aircraft. That's what it's called. It's called changing the attitude. You have to raise the nose off the ground. The plane is still on the ground. It's the the wheels are still, the, the, the main wheels are still in contact with the runway, but the nose gets elevated. You raise up, you look upward, you change the attitude. You're not looking at the runway that's running out. You're not looking at the dangers at the end of that runway. You've got the speed to do it. But it doesn't matter how fast you're going, how good your plane is. The the simplest thing affects every aircraft. Little old cheap Piper or the, uh, the most expensive aircraft ever built. You first have to change the attitude if you want to fly. The United Pentecostal Church needs an attitude change. We're going 90 miles an hour down the runway. But nothing seems to be happening. And we want, we don't know what's wrong with us. We don't know why we're like this. We don't know why not more isn't happening. Why aren't we having more revival, Brother Shadwell? Why aren't we having more miracles? Because we need an attitude change. Look under the hills from which comes your help. What what is he simply saying? Lift your eyes up. Get your eyes off of what's in front of you out there. Get your eyes on God. Don't look at the problems. Don't look at the difficulties. Don't don't ask the question why or how. That's God's business. It is not my responsibility to know how God's going to do it, when God's going to do it, or why He's going to do it, or how He's going to do it. Oh, my responsibility is to believe it and raise my attitude of expectation. He's going to do it. 
And He's not just going to do it. He's going to do it for me. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. He's going to do it because of you. He's good. I have to raise the attitude. The attitude's got to get raised. So Matthew 5 tells us about this. He gives us some attitudes we're supposed to have in there. And I know that's not what the Greek word means. but I, 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 And it's not my little play on words, but I like it. These are beatitudes. What are attitudes? They're those, the, 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 the reaction of things, the, 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 the principles that define my life. They are the principles of my character that define who I am, that define my approach to life and my expectations. And there's one in here that's particularly favorite of mine. Matthew 5, 6, of course. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He didn't say, Brother Roberts, blessed are they that are filled. He said, if you've got hunger and thirst, you're blessed. The blessing is to have the passion. The blessing is to be blessed with a desire. That's the blessing. The result of the blessing is not the blessing. The blessing is just have that. That's what the blessing is. The blessing is the hunger. The blessing is the thirst. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. Do we really hunger and thirst after God? Do we really? Do we really? It is the constant battle of any pastor in leading a people to keep them anywhere even pointed in the direction of hungering and thirsting after God. It's, it's, it's not even getting them to hunger and thirst after God. It's just keeping them aware of the fact they need to be hungering and thirsting after God. That is the greatest challenge of pastoring. Why? Because, friend, if I get hungry, I'll get something to eat. Feeding people is not the issue. Getting them hungry enough to want to eat is the problem. People being blessed with the Spirit of God, the living water, isn't the problem. It's getting them thirsty enough to drink that's the problem. But you know where that's got to start? It's got to start the pulpit. No hunger and thirst in the pulpit. Never going to be any hunger and thirst in the pew. We'll be under the church where there's hunger and thirst in the pew and not in the pulpit. you got troubles coming. There's troubles coming. There's troubles coming. When there's more hunger and thirst in the pulpit than there is in the pew than there is in the pulpit, there's trouble coming. Good people are going to get a bad name. Good people are going to get a bad name. It's like... It's like having one of these race cars with five, six, seven hundred horsepower. And the thing's sitting there still. The brake, it's not even in gear and the brake's on. You got to put your foot on the brake, but the accelerator's wound out. It's redlined. The thing is about to come apart. But the driver won't put the thing in gear and let it go. Who's at fault when the engine comes apart? So what do we do? We back off. We don't want the thing coming apart. 
There are people in my city right now who are sighing and crying for God. It's not a question of whether or not they want God. The question is whether or not I'm going to have enough desire to pursue getting them. That's the, that's the only issue. That's the only issue. The issue is not whether or not people want God. Of course they want God. They were created to want God. They may not understand they want God. They may be doing all kinds of things trying to assuage that desire and that need for God. But they were born with a need for God. James chapter, uh, John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus said, uh, the scripture says, In the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Wait, wait just a minute. Now, we Pentecostals, we can, we can associate with this now. You know, some of those Jewish feasts were feasts of fasting, but other feasts were feasts of feasting. And, buddy, when you can connect eating and spirituality, woo, have you got a good thing going. And they just spent seven days practicing their religion, eating and drinking. And it's the last day, and there's an unwritten rule. No doggy bags. No leftovers. Everything that's been sacrificed and dedicated has got to be eaten. We can't take this stuff home. And he has the audacity to stand up and cry out in a loud voice where all could see and hear and his disciples could cringe in embarrassment. I don't know if you have desire if your people have never cringed at what you've done. Desire is going to embarrass some folks sometimes. Jesus perpetually did that. He was continually embarrassing people. Not on purpose. But people with desire always embarrass people without desire. Always. So he stands up with a loud voice and says the most idiotic thing could be said on the last day of a feast. Is there anybody thirsty? Come to me and drink. And his disciples are looking around. What is, what is he going to give them? What, 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 what does he have for them? They don't, they don't figure this one out either. We know that they figured it out later because verse 39 is in parentheses. John writing it in the 60s or whenever it was when he wrote the, the Gospel of John. He explained what Jesus was talking about. But there's no indication they understood when he said it. You hear me today, the Lord's not, the Lord is willing to save anybody in this world. It's not His will that any should perish. But God is not searching for the whole world. God is looking even in the church for those that are unwilling to accept religion. Even the practices of Pentecostalism. He's looking for people that are still thirsty. He's looking for thirst. He's looking for thirst. God gives His best to those that thirst. He's looking for the hungry. He's looking for the thirsty. He is searching for them. That's who He's looking for. The verse 38 says, He said, Amen, thirst, let me come to me a drink. He that believeth on me. As the Scripture has said in the prescribed manner, the Scripture said what believing is. Out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. This word belly, The Greek word literally means cavity. 
Figuratively, it means inner man. It is the emptiness created in every human being. Or may I rephrase that? It is the emptiness that God did not finish creating with every person that came out of the womb. They weren't finished in the womb. There is something missing in them. There is an empty place in every human being. And he was asking that day, after this seven days of religious celebration, is you, is there emptiness there? Is there anything left you're searching for? Are you still looking for something? Is there anything in you that still craves something you didn't get? That's who I'm looking for. That qualifies you to come to me. I love to dance and shout. I've rolled my, my times in my life. I'll roll again. As the Lord dictates. First time I ever rolled in my life. We, we had lost our building and, and, and found this little piece of property. It was only an acre of ground. Brother Welch, uh, Dale Welch helped us rent a tent. We put it upon this piece of property, have a revival. Cause it had, had no, we had no place else to go. Thank God it was summertime. We didn't have any other building. And so I did all I knew to do. I'd never seen this before, but I'd heard about it. So we went to a sawmill, got a bunch of chips, put it on the ground because it was in a low spot. That's why it was available. Put the chips on the ground so you have something to walk on. I had just got a brand new $90 suit. I was proud of that suit too. And we were having church. And I'd been around Pentecost all my life. And there was just some things I was never going to do. And we're having church. And this still small voice that I have learned to recognize didn't demand. It didn't, it just whispered, roll. And I said, God, God, why not when I had on one of my old suits? You know, we're just, we're just new here. We're young. We don't, we, I, I don't hardly ever get a brand new suit. Why now? He didn't demand. It wasn't a command. It was an invitation. And I knew I had a choice. But I also knew I didn't want to miss out on what was on the wrong side, the right side of that choice and get what was on the wrong side of it. And before I had a chance to think further about it, I was down in that old sawdust rolling around. I, don't, I tell you something, that suit was never, ever really right after that. But you know something? Something broke in me because I had to prove to him that to have the desire he had given me fulfilled, I had to be willing to do whatever, whenever, however he said to do it, regardless of what I thought about it or anybody else thought about it. I wish I could tell you that a mighty revival broke out because I rolled in the, in the sawdust chips in my brand new suit. No, not really. Not at that moment. But it was just one of those tests. You say you want this? Let me see. But what, what is the connection between this and that? There's no connection here, God. The connection is His to make and mine to trust. Even though I don't understand it. 
Absolutely. What? Why in the world would Brother Mark Morgan take time and energy out of a highly successful evangelistic ministry to try to mix in starting a church in California? What in the world is he thinking? He's got friends that have said behind his back, what's he trying to do, kill himself? I haven't heard that, Brother Morgan. Nobody said that to me, but I'm telling you, it's being said. Guys are wondering, what is his deal? We need him. Why is he wasting his time and energy doing that? You ever heard of desire? You ever heard of desire? I, I, I don't know if this is delicate in this district or not, and I'm going to try to be really delicate with it because I'm just trying to make a point. I'm not trying to hurt anything. But why in the world would a man leave church, a good church that he pastored for 19 years and move here to start over from scratch. Why? Why? Only God knows how many of your friends said behind his back, what is Jerry Wayne doing? Doesn't he realize how good he's got it? Why would he leave there? Why? You ever heard of desire? People with desire often do things that don't make sense to people. No, no. And if you're too afraid of being misunderstood, if you're too afraid of being misunderstood, then you don't have enough desire. It's time to pray for some desire. You don't have it. You know why he said, blessed are they the hunger and thirst? He was trying to get across to me something. There's only one thing I need more than food and water, and that's breath. That's it. Only one thing I need more than food and water, and that's breath. And when he said hunger and thirst, you know what he was telling me? No matter how good this meal is your folks are fixing today, in a few hours we're going to be wanting something else. And no matter how good that next meal is going to be at Golden Crown, a few hours we're going to be wanting something else. No matter how good that cold water is on a hot day, it won't be but a little while. I'm going to be needing some more. And he, he said he wanted me to hunger and thirst. You know what that tells me? He wants me to be thankful. He never wants me to be satisfied. He wants me to be thankful. But I'm never supposed to say it is enough. It, this is enough. This is far enough. He's done enough. He never wants me to stop and say, this is far enough. I've got as much God as I need. I pray as much as I, I, I want to. I know much, as much about the Bible as I need to know. I've got as much faith as I need. I know as much about the Spirit of God, the ministry of the Spirit as I need to know. No, no, no. There is never supposed to be a day that I say, it's enough. I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to quit. This is enough. I deserve a break. Break? A break? Break? I spent 35, I, this may not be encouraging to you. I've spent 35 years in that city and I feel like everything that's happened up to now is just preliminary. It's just preliminary. 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 It's preliminary. Why? Because this is, this is who I am.
This is who he's made me to be. I am not a Navy junior. We're Army brats, but Navy juniors. I'm not a Navy junior. That's what I was raised. I'm not a a retired naval officer. The, The ID card in my wallet says I'm retired. But that's not who I am. No, no, no. I'm not a presbyter. I'm not a former district superintendent. I'm not a former district commissions director. I'm none of those things. Who I am is who my passion is. That's who I am. That's all I want to be known as. That's it. That's why I said earlier, it was a privilege for Brother Cornwell to include me in this little group that was standing there as implying that I had... I was like the two of them because I've considered two of them two of the most passionate people I've ever met in my life. And to be included as an equal with those two, I I, I felt pretty good about that. Not satisfied. Just pretty good. Why? (laughs) I tell you why. There's a young man sitting back there. He's my eldest. 33. He's done a good job so far. Produced me four grandchildren. He says he's retired, waiting for his brother to take up the slack. They haven't started yet because I haven't been able to get the word. I keep speaking the word. It just hadn't happened yet, brother. I keep speaking it. It hadn't happened. My oldest name is David. Yeah, it, it worked for you, didn't it? Yeah. They finally decided we're going to give him a grandchild to get him off our back. You know, there's nothing that's ever happened in Brother Dylan's life that I've ever worried about stealing his passion over the things of God ever before. But this grandbaby is a serious threat to the work of God. You hear me right now? You hear me? And you're laughing and and I'm not joking. This grandbaby, if I've ever met a man in my whole life that wanted to be a grandfather almost more than anything else in this entire world, Here sits the man. He's been helping us with Focus DC, our effort to try to get, finally get DC evangelized. And we're having crusades the, the Tuesday and Wednesday after General Conference in Constitution Hall, two blocks from the White House. Holy Ghost revival crusades. God's working a miracle there. And, and, and he's supposed to be one of the speakers in our day rallies out there right outside the U.S. Capitol building. But he told us, well, you can put me down. But if I get word that my daughter-in-law is going into labor, you'll just have to find a replacement because I'm out of here. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That worries me. Sister Dylan, normally it's the husband that worries about the grandchildren replacing him in the life of the wife. You got serious trouble coming you're, you're the one that's going to be battling jealousy right here. I hope his mother and father have a chance to hold him occasionally. Once in a while. Unfortunately, I'm telling the absolute truth. <laughs> or maybe not unfortunately, whatever, just the truth anyway. What are you passionate about? I named him David in honor of my favorite Bible character. I'm going to tell you why he's my favorite Bible character. Psalms 42, 1 says, 
as the heart panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63 and 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. And let me tell you how great your desire can get. It can even change this old contrary flesh. My flesh longeth for thee. Now this old flesh that knows it isn't going to heaven, this flesh is not going to heaven. Whatever's going to heaven is going to be a change deal. But this carnal flesh, this, this flesh is not going to heaven. And for his desire for God to be so great that even his flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. Verse 2. What is it he was thirsty for? To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I've been in the house of God. I have seen, there's two different Hebrew words, see and seen. The second one is, I've been in the house of God and I've seen your majesty, your glory, your power in my spirit. But I hunger and thirst to see with my eyes and for the world to see this God I've seen in the sanctuary. I'm desperate for this. I'm desperate for this. I'm desperate for When you get to the place, dear brother, home missionary, pastor, that you want the people of your city to see, for you, you spend time with God and you see God so desperately that you want to see the people of your people, your city, see God like you've seen Him. It is impossible for the devil to keep stuff from happening. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's not about growing a church. It's not about getting an income. I know, I know what it means to be there. And when you get that first tithe check, wow. This is an amazing thing. And, and, and that first moment you and your wife connect eyes after you've looked at the books and you realize we, we, we might be able to try going full time. Oh, what a day. What a day. That first time you realize we, we might be able to go full time here. And, and the fact that you realize inside, boy, there's, there's been some stuff happen since we've been here if we're considering going full time. Wow. This is really good. And I realize those things are important. They're, they're, they're important milestones. The first time you baptize somebody or pray them through, the, the first time somebody you pray through gets to the pulpit and preaches their first message. The first some time somebody you baptize is filled with the Holy Ghost brings the first sinner to church themselves and they get they get they get baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh God. 
the feeling of that is absolutely beyond imagination. It's beyond imagination. And oh, my friend, it's nothing. All of that is wonderful. But to have a passion for people to see God. To see God. To see God. To see that person the first time the Spirit of God comes upon them. It is the most addicting thing in this entire world. There is nothing more addicting than seeing the Word find a logic place in somebody's heart the first time. To see that look that comes to their eyes, that first look of recognition. Oh, that's what I've been looking for. Oh, that's what I've been looking for. To see that first look of recognition. To see conviction come upon them. To see them struggle because this is all brand new to them. They don't know anything about all this. And get up out of a seat, come down to the front of the invitation and coax them through just a little bit because they're so ignorant. They don't even know what this is all about. Their hands raised and talking tongues. Oh, if you ever get enough of that, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Brother Dylan, I, I thought I had a passion before, but the clock and the calendar ticking off has brought an urgency to the passion. It's brought an urgency to the passion. I, sometimes I get afraid. I, I, I've been traveling more than I've ever traveled before. Then there's two reasons for that. First of all, the Lord's telling me to go. Second of all, I'm trying to keep from killing my church. I'm trying to moderate the amount I'm in the pulpit. Because they can't handle this all the time. And I've reached the place, I don't want to be anything else but this. So I let others spend time in the pulpit and I, when I'm home and, and I travel so that when it's my turn, I can turn it loose. And I want them to know the old man who has been blessed beyond imagination. My wife said it this morning. We're sitting out here in this vehicle God has absolutely miraculously blessed us with. And she said it to me this morning. She said, sometimes I look at what God's done for us and it absolutely takes my breath away. And I said, that's exactly how I feel about it. I haven't deserved any of this. I haven't earned any of this. I, I'm thankful for all of that stuff, Brother Dylan. I'm thankful for every, the house. I'm thankful for the cars. I'm thankful for the coat. I'm thankful for all of that. But oh, friend, that does nothing. Nothing. That does not diminish my desire. I want this more than I've ever wanted anything in my life. I want it. I want it. I want it. I want people to see God with their eyes like I've seen Him in here. I want them to know Him like I know Him in here. I want what's in here to be manifested. I want it to be manifested. I want, I want the hard heads. I want my enemies in that city, the people that bat, talk bad about me. Talk. I want them to feel the touch that's made me what it is they've criticized all these years. I want them to experience this. They may not accept it in Jesus' ministry. Thousands were touched by Him who didn't end up living for them, but at least they had a chance. 
If you don't, if you're not hungering and thirsty, would you beg God right now to give it to you? Come on, let's pray. Would you just beg Him? Would you just beg Him? God, baptize me afresh with the Holy Ghost and fire. Baptize me afresh with the Holy Ghost and fire. Baptize me afresh. Give me more of your fire, more desire, more zeal, more passion than I've ever had before. God, as I get older and I accumulate scars and, and I've gone through more and more and more difficulties, don't let me look at the scars and the difficulties and the complications of life and allow that to hinder my zeal, my passion. Don't let it do it. Don't let it do it, God. Don't let it do it. Let me change my attitude. Let me lift up my eyes so I can't see these things anymore. I only want to see you. I only want to be focused on you. I don't want anything else. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with being blessed with abundance as long as that abundance doesn't get used to fill the emptiness inside that's supposed to be the source of your hunger and thirst for God. There's nothing wrong with having great revival, having a beautiful facility if that doesn't cause you to find a comfortable place and quit challenging yourself and people continually. There's nothing wrong with all of that. As long as you don't lose sight of God by looking at that stuff. God, lift our attitude today. Lift our eyes up so we can get this off the ground. So that we're not going to continually waste all this energy just running down the runway and never lift off. Trusting completely in your wings. As long as the wheels are still in contact with the earth, you still have some control. But when you're flying on air, you're not in control anymore. You're something unseen is holding you up. Desire is the only thing that will cause a person, man or woman, to be willing to lose contact with safe earth and trust the unseen. Desire. We gotta have desire, folks. We gotta have it. We gotta have it. We gotta have fire. We've got to have fire. We've got to have the fire of God. We've got to have the fire of God. We've gotta have it. We've gotta have the zeal of God, the passion of God. We've gotta have it. We've gotta have it. We've gotta have it. There's no retiring from that. There's no giving up to that. There's, there's no day when you finish that. There's no way, there's no way. As long as I'm breathing, God still has a work for me. As long as He's got a work for me, I better have some passion to do it with. Come on, let's pray. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on, let's go a little farther. Come on. Brother, Brother Shatwell finished early and, and I'm... I, I'm I'm a little earlier than uh, normally would be. Brother Morgan's going to come here in a few minutes, but whatever he's got to say, it, it needs to. It's going to. It's it's going to tie into this, and we can't afford to miss this right now. Come on, this is between you and God. Nobody knows what you're saying and how you feel about it, but you and God. Nobody, nobody. But somehow, 
Somehow there needs to be a new place. There needs to be something new opened up inside of us. There needs to be a new willingness to take a risk. Come on. Come on. There needs to be a new willingness to say, God, as long as it's you, I won't care what anybody thinks about it. I won't, I, I'm not talking about doing wrong or being, doing something unscriptural, but, but the, the peer pressure to fit into a mold, to not get, to not, not get out of it. I'm tired of being a flea in a jar. You take the lid off that jar, there's still fleas. They don't, the, the, the lid of the jar doesn't change the character of the fleas. There's still fleas. You take the lid off the jar, there's still fleas. But somebody's got to dare to leap out of the jar. I've got to be willing to be misunderstood. I've got to be willing to take the risk of embarrassing people I love people I care about because the zeal of the house of the Lord is eating me up. The zeal of the house of the Lord is eating me up. It's eating me up. It's eating me up. It's eating me up. I'm not, I'm not willing to preach it. I'm not interested in just preaching conference messages to my people all the time. I'm not interested in them bragging about how great a preacher I am and not ever wanting, and, and wanting to hear only me so to the point that they don't want to hear anybody else. No, 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 no. That's not it. That, that's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. I'm not interested in being known as a great preacher. I just want to be a person of passion. Passion. Regardless of whether people approve or disapprove. I just want the name, the word passion to be associated with the name Chester Wright. That's it. I just want to be a person of passion. And then I want to have so much passion. I'm so hidden in the passion. They don't even see me anymore. They just see God and His passion. But it's got to start somewhere. The Lord's seeking for the hungry. And seeking for the thirsty. Is that you? I was 24 years old. My wife was just 19 when we went to Annapolis, Maryland. I can't tell you the number of people who told me I was too young. But I found a place. I found a place where I could live my passion without somebody looking over my shoulder all the time criticizing it. Because there were only three churches. We were the third church in Maryland at the time. Only two other churches. And, and, and the other two pastors worked like I did. We didn't have a lot of time to spend together. So I found a place where I could let my passion go without somebody constantly nipping at my heels. Over, Well, you, he's too far out. He's too strange. And I found something. As long as you're more con concerned about reputation than you are what God, than God manifested himself, you are not a person of passion. Passion and reputation are mutually exclusive. You cannot have one and have the other. I'm going to say that again. As long as your reputation, I'm not talking about your moral reputation, but your ministerial reputation, what people think of you, is more important to you than seeing God manifested to a lost and dying world. You don't have passion because you can't have one and have the other. Passion burns out the need or the desire to have reputation. And the desire for reputation quenches, kills passion.
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, when God gives you a message, sometimes you envision what the, what, what, what's going to happen. But I tell you honestly right now, this is completely different than anything I saw. But I feel God at work here. Because what you've done is you haven't received this message emotionally. Your response is due to the fact that you've taken this message deep in your spirit. Far more than I had any idea, this message has touched a place in your life because it was God and it's from God. And it touched a place in your life. And you don't feel like jumping up and down over this because you recognize with me, I've recognized about myself lately, I needed to refocus on re getting my passion what, it's, what it used to be. It's not that it went completely away, but you know life happens. And if you're not careful and you don't cultivate your passion and pursue having passion, life happens and takes it away. Problems, pain, and as was preached about this morning, pressure are all allowed by God to see which direction you will go with passion. Blessed home missionaries, brethren, sisters. David said, O God, thou art my God early when I seek thee, my soul thirsts for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. Here now, in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. Who led David to that place? Did he get there in that place by some failure of his? Or did God lead him to that dry and thirsty place to see how he'd react. Yes, sir. Yep. In a dry and a thirsty place, you can give up or you can pursue. And God wants to see what you're going to do. That dry and thirsty place is never from the devil. It's always from God. He leads us to a dry and a thirsty place to see what our reaction is going to be. Because He's got so much He wants to do for us, to us, and through us. He's not going to do that till He knows what's in us. Brother Travis, there's things God can't trust me with till He and I know what's in me. And that dry and thirsty place lets me find out what's in me. It, it helps me to decide what's important and what's not. Come on, let's don't look around. Let's talk to God. Come on, let's want each one of us personally talk to God. Let's talk to God. The Holy Ghost is in this place. This is what Brother Kenzie preached about last night. This is what Brother Dylan preached about last night. This is the songs we sung last night. This is what Brother Shatwell talked about this morning. The words may be different. The thoughts may be different. But God is trying to do something in this meeting.
The Lord's trying to do something in this meeting beyond where we've ever allowed Him to take us in this meeting before. God is trying to do something. This isn't about trying to outdo somebody else. This isn't about Mississippi trying to be greater than any other district. This isn't about Parkway trying to be a greater church than any other church. This isn't about competition. This isn't about reputation. This is about us and God. It can't get any more basic than that. What is it that makes me tick? What is it that moves me? Paul said of his circumstances, none of these things move me. But when it came to Israel, he said, my heart's desire for Israel to be saved, even to the point if it meant I would be lost. The lost moved Paul. Circumstances didn't. He got to Hard times, Brother Shetwell. Painful, difficult times. Hard, hard times. That's what he started off with this morning, brethren. Is there anybody in this place couldn't relate to what he was talking about? Hard times. Difficult times. I'm facing September. I don't really know where we're going to have church yet this fall. I don't know what to do. I got a revival trying to break out. I got no place to put it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hard times. I don't have the money to build back what we're trying to build. It's been two, almost two and a half years since our building collapsed. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hard times. But in those times, there's a hunger and thirst that's created in us by God that will lead us to the place that He, we can see God manifested to this world. Are you complaining and griping? about your heart, your, your dry and thirsty land? Are you feeling abandoned by God or abused by God because you're in a dry and a thirsty land? Is there any way today you could accept the fact that that dry and a thirsty land is a blessed place? It's a blessed place. It's a place of a, a turning point in your life. It's a place of going backwards or forwards and God is willing to take the risk that you'll go backwards because He's so hoping you will go forward. He doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't want you to go backwards. But He knows He has to take the risk that you'll go backwards in order to propel you forward. But it happens in that dry and thirsty land where no water is. No water. Nothing to quench the thirst. Not sure you're going to survive. You get thirsty enough, you'll question whether or not you're even going to live. God... I don't know if I can hang on another day. I don't know if I can stay saved in all of this. God, I'm afraid for my soul. That's a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. God, why aren't you there? He is there, but He's waiting. He's got to wait and see what your reaction's going to be. What is your response to that dry and thirsty land? Is it coming out of there with a desire to see the power of God? Manifested to the world. Or is it to come out of there with a bitterness that says, He's forsaken me. He doesn't care. Jesus name. Jesus name. Come on. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to infringe on brother Morgan's time, but God's trying to do something here right now. Please. There's a couple of people right now that came to this meeting. You weren't really sure what you were going to do. 
Some of you prayed and you asked God for a word. You asked God for direction. You weren't really sure what His will was. You were sure because you were in a dry and a thirsty place that it must be His will for you to do something different than you're doing. No, no, no. No, no, no. I can't tell you the times in Annapolis, Maryland we've been through a dry and a thirsty land. But every time we've been through that place, God was preparing us to take us to the next place, to the next level. We could not go to the next level without spending some time in a dry and a thirsty place so that our desire could be shifted into the next gear so that we would be willing to pursue. Because let me tell you something, my friend. You may not believe this, but there will be a day you'll tell me I'm right. Blessings are far more demanding and difficult to handle than problems are any day. And if you don't have enough desire, and if your motive wasn't what it should have been in seeking for those things, let me tell you what, when you get overwhelmed with that revival that you're begging God for, you're going to bail. Because people bring problems, and they demand time and ministry. And you've got to give your guts to them. And every time you give your guts, you're not sure if this one's going to stick or not. You don't know if this is going to be a a good investment of time or not but since you don't know you don't have any choice but to keep on giving it because this just may be a future Paul this may be a future Silas this may be a future Peter and I've got to take the risk that they're going to take all of this time and investment and bail on me because I've got to take the risk that on on the possibility that this one may be one of them pressure Pressure. Pressure. Dry in a thirsty land. What you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with it? Ita halalodobukusata bahaya. Eki hekata haya lalodobasay. 